Father, thank you so much that you are a holy God. Thank you that you desire a relationship with us and you desired it so much that you were willing to pay the price of my sin, the sin of the entire world, so that we could be made with, right with you. Thank you for the way that you offer grace to us each day and mercy. Thank you for how you provide your Holy Spirit to strengthen and encourage us in our daily walk with you. Father, in the next few moments, as we look into your word, I pray that we would see your son, Jesus Christ, and only him. Pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would encourage us in our walk with you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, you can have a seat. I was thinking about the words of the song that we just finished. Only a holy God, but who else invites me to call him father? It's a wonderful thought that God invites us, the God, the creator of this universe, wants a relationship with me. That's incredible. I know me. You know you. I know you a little and you know me a little, but I know me. And God wants a relationship with me. That's an amazing thought. This morning, we're going to talk about loving your neighbor. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And as you're turning there in your Bible, if you have your Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. But as you're turning there in, the, in your Bible, I, I heard a, a little story um, this last week, and I want to share it with you. There was a young couple who were engaged to be married, and, and it was the weekend of their, their marriage, and it was Friday evening, and there was the rehearsal dinner, and they were going to the rehearsal dinner, and on the way, they were in a horrible uh, car accident, and they both died. Yeah, it's, and they got to heaven, and Peter was checking them in, in heaven. And when they got there, they said to Peter, they said, you know, we... We're getting married tomorrow, and we kind of really wanted to be married. And we're here in heaven, and we're just wondering before we go in, is there, is there any way we could get married before, before we go into heaven? And, and, and Peter said, well, that's kind of an odd request, but I'll check. I'll, I'll go see. There's a bench right here. Why don't you have a seat? And I'll, I'll go find out if that's possible or not. And so he, he went. To, to find out if it was possible for them to get married. And they sat there for a while, and, and they were looking at each other, and, and time kept passing, and a day went by, and, and Peter didn't come back. And two days went by, and he still didn't come back. And a week went by, and he never came back. And two weeks, and they're still sitting on the bench. And three weeks, and the end of the sixth week, Peter comes walking back, and, and he says, good news, I have good news for you. I looked around, and I found a pastor who's, who's willing to marry you. And uh, the couple looked at Peter and said, well, we don't want to be hired to get along with. We, we don't want to give you a hard time. I mean, you, you worked pretty hard for us. And, but we've been sitting on this bench for six weeks, and we haven't always got along really well as we were sitting here. And we're, we're wondering if it's possible that if we do get married, can we get a divorce? And Peter's kind of exasperated, and he looks at me and he said, look, it took me six weeks to find a pastor. How long do you think it will take me to find a lawyer? 
Okay, good. Some of you got it. We're going to talk this morning about a pastor and a lawyer and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes it doesn't work out the way we think it does. Sometimes what that relationship looks like and what it requires of us is different than what we have in our mind. And that's what this story is really about this morning, that Jesus talks to an expert in the law. And the expert in the law has a question for Jesus. And it's not quite the way the expert wants it. And that often happens to us, guys. We have questions for Jesus or we have a thought and we want Jesus to tell us something that fits kind of our mold, (laughs) the way we see it, the way we want it. And often Jesus doesn't do that. So follow along as I read this story to you from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to say that phrase with me that the the expert said, because this is the question that matters this morning. What was his question? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Let's do that again so we're all together because we want to make sure everybody knows what his question was. He said, what? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he asked him, Jesus did. How, How do you read it? And he answered, now you say this with me because six weeks ago, if you were with us, we talked about this for for a little bit, but but here's his answer. And the guy, he's he's an expert in the law. He's got this, okay? So you ready for this? Go ahead and read this with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, you've never been here, right? You've you've never, this little phrase has never been you. It's been me. But wanting to justify myself. (laughs) He asked Jesus, here we go, we're going to get deep now. And who is my neighbor? And Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, and they stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and in the same way, a Levite, and when he arrived at the place, he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan On his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. And he went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
And the expert in the law answered, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This whole discussion this morning starts with a question. And the question was from this expert in the law was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And a few weeks ago, we covered the first part of this question, and we talked about love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul, with all your strength. We talked about loving God with every part of my being, and that was the internal part of me, not only going halfway with the internals, it's putting it all on the line with God and giving every aspect of who I am to God, and being all in with God. And that was the first part of Jesus' answer. But This morning, I want to notice the second part of the answer. I want to talk about the second command that Jesus refers to. The second statement that he makes is the evidence of the truthfulness of the first. Let me get that. Let me say that again. The second statement or the second command that Jesus refers to in this passage is the evidence of the truthfulness of the first in our own lives, in our own lives. The expert in the law either thinks that he's got this all wrapped up when he comes to Jesus, or he knows he falls really short. It's one or the other when he comes and he asks the question because he's an expert in the law. He can quote the law. He's memorized it since childhood. He really knows what Jesus is going to say. And I think what he was hoping was that Jesus would stop with the love the Lord your God thing. I think that's where his heart was. He was saying, look, if God, if Jesus comes to me and says, look, hey, bud, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, I have memorized that since I was a kid. I've kept the law. I've been doing great. And he's hoping in front of a crowd, because usually the questions were asked in front of a crowd. He's hoping that in front of the crowd, when I ask the question and Jesus gives the answer, I can say, "Woo, did it. Check. Got it together. Or if he knows he falls short, he's hoping for a little debate. Because this was common too. And by the way, it's common for us. His thought was probably something like this. Look, if I can distract Jesus and, and ask a technical question, maybe I can get off the hook. You know, we do that, right? Jesus begins to face us with a truth of Scripture, something that, that has, he's pricked our heart with or our soul with or our mind with or somebody has said something and, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, that's a truth of the Word of God that I'm not doing in my own life. And, and instead of dealing with it, we turn it around and we ask a question like, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Or if, a love, if God is truly loving, then why does he let evil things to happen? And we try to distract ourselves by talking about something that Jesus isn't really talking to our heart about. And this is what the expert in the law, he turns to Jesus and he says this, let's, let's define the word neighbor. <laughs> and maybe by definition, I'm off the hook. Maybe if you define the word right, I don't have to do anything. That would be cool. And we tend to do the same thing. 
We like to talk endlessly about the problems or about the big questions so that I don't really have to do anything about it. So his question is, who is my neighbor? And I think Jesus' response is really interesting because he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't take the bait of let's have a conversation about who your neighbor is. Instead, he tells them a story. The expert wants a conversation and Jesus wants action. Jesus wants him to consider his own need, the need of his heart, of where his heart is. We're no different. We take the questions that Jesus is asking of us and we like to make them complex. We like to make them hard. We like to think that the the answer to whatever question it is is really hard. And because it's so hard, I don't need to do anything with it. And then we feel good about talking through the process. We'll talk at life's end. We're just going to talk about it. But nothing happens. Now, talks aren't bad. It's not bad to have discussions. That's not what I'm saying. It just can't be all that there is. At some point, we have to actually do something. And that's what Jesus is bringing to this guy's mind. When I was a little guy, I... uh, I got in trouble a few times, okay, often, and my mother had told me, it was in the spring of the year, and my mother had told me with no uncertain question in mind, I knew exactly when I left the house what she had said to me, she said, Tim, you've been soaked, it's the spring, I mean, understand this, there's puddles, and you can't walk by them, and I had been soaked three or four times, and had to come in and change my clothes, and as I went out the door, She said, Tim, do not get wet again today. You've changed your clothes enough. I don't want you to get wet again today. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. And I went out and and I was up by our barn and there was this massive, almost like pond that had like just a skim of ice over it and it really had to be broken. The ice did. I mean, as a young boy, you understand if you've seen one of those in the spring and the ice is rotting and, and I threw stuff and I broke some of it, but I couldn't get it all. So I took a stick and I was trying to break it with a stick and I, and, and, and I couldn't get it all with that. And I, well, I could just wade. I mean, seriously, it's, it's not. And so I broke, I, I got wrapped up in breaking the ice. And guess what? I got soaked. I got drenched. So there was a piece of plywood laying up against the side of the barn, and it was in the sun, and I thought, I don't know what I'll do. I'll just take my clothes off, and I'll lay them out on the plywood, and they'll dry before I go home, right, in the sun. I wishful thinking. It didn't happen. So I was headed home, and I was soaked. My boots inside, I was drenched. And... Buddy was with me, and we were getting close to home, and he said, what are you going to do? Because he knew. And I said, this works every time. When I go through the door, I'm going to tell mom a joke, and it will sidetrack her from the fact that I'm soaked, and she won't realize it, and I won't get in trouble. Two problems. One, she heard me. I didn't know she was there. It's the 
kid thing, you know. You don't always see what's going on around you, and she heard me. And number two, she's far more observant than that. But I tried. Couldn't sit down that evening very well because I got in trouble. But that's the same thing we do with God. God says, hey, this is the way I want you to do this. This is the way I want you to live life. And we do our own thing, and then we hope, oh, he won't notice. We'll distract him. We'll get it so that we ask something tough or we go down a different road and he won't notice what's really going on. And I believe this is the expert. He knows what Jesus has told him, but he doesn't really want to go there. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. Instead, he tells a story. And it's a really interesting story. Remember the original question. What was it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the original question. This story is not about us looking after social justice. That's not what this story is about. This story is not about levels of kindness. That's not what this story is about. This story goes back to answer the original question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This could have been a true event. It doesn't really tell us if it's a parable or not. But Jesus starts the story about a man. And everybody that's standing there would assume it's a Jewish man because it's a Jewish population that he's talking to. Who goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 15-mile walk. It's a 3,500 feet drop in elevation from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a rough trail that these guys would have walked, and they walked it regularly. And everybody standing there would know that this is a really rough road that this guy is going down when Jesus tells the story. And they also know that it's not safe to be on this road. They live on this road. They know. And so when Jesus starts the story, he's telling them something that everybody would identify. This this lawyer, this expert in the law would identify immediately with the story that Jesus is about to tell. Why in the world does this guy choose to go this way? Jesus doesn't say. It's just there's, there's a guy, and he takes a 15-mile walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. And while he's walking, he gets beat up, and he's left for dead. And probably the people standing there know that this has happened before. They know the events. And in the story, immediately when Jesus starts telling it, things start to look up in the story. And everybody standing there would say, yes, this guy struck it rich because a priest was first. A priest came along. And everybody standing there, especially the expert in the law, would have known that a priest is the one guy that you want to come along when you get beat up beside the road. Because here's what the priest would have been taught from from Exodus 23. He would have been taught, show mercy to even hurt animals. When there is an animal by the road who has a weight too much for him, you're to stop and you're to help him pick it up. And even if the animal belongs to somebody you don't like, you don't get along with, you're to stop and help the animal out. Take the load off, get him up, get him on his feet and make him walk. That's in Exodus 20. The priest knows this. He's been taught this. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says this, and this one's for me. It says, if you're an alien person living in a land, in the land with the Jews, 
You're to love that alien person. You guys got to love me. I'm Canadian. You love that alien person and you treat them as part of your community. You treat them as if they belong there. Steve, you have to treat me as if I stop. It's enough. You have to treat me right. You're to treat that person as if they belong. And so this priest would have known that from from Leviticus. He knows the law. This priest knows what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to help this guy out from Micah 6, 8. He would know this, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. The priest is the guy who teaches it. Yes, the priest is first. And he walks by on the other side. And you can see the expert in the law going, what? Well, then a Levite comes along. Well, guess what? The Levite assists the priest. He helps him out. He's one of the guys who comes along in the service and does all the work inside. He knows all the right stuff to do. Yes! No. Wrong. He also walks by on the other side. See, guys, it's not how much we know. It's what we do with what we know. These guys knew all the right things. They knew all the right answers. In the story that Jesus is telling, he used the two people who would know exactly what to do first. But they don't do it. And often we find ourselves in the same point where we learn all kinds of things, but we don't do what we know. And I'm not telling you to stop learning. I'm not telling you to stop because you're not using it. What I'm telling you is whatever it is that God has been teaching you in your heart, use it. Because that's why he gave it to you. He gave it to you to make a difference. James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Not deceiving yourselves with what you know. Well, then he comes to the third person who shows up in this little story, and it's a Samaritan. There's a problem with this. The Samaritan and the Jews don't get along. And it's not just that they don't get along. They hate each other. It's not like, I don't like that guy. It's, I don't want to be in the same room with that guy. I don't want to be near that guy. They hate each other. And the Samaritan comes along and Jesus does this all the time. He takes the unexpected and he does the unexpected. And Jesus does it again in this story. And he says this, the Samaritan came along. And the Samaritan saw the guy in need and he stopped and he walked over to the guy in need and he helped. He doesn't just give the guy a drink and throw a blanket over him so nobody else will have to look as they walk by. He stops and he helps. He's not not worried so much about what it will look like or what it's going to cost him. He just stops and helps. There's not a level of when guys or somebody's hurt this much, then you help. It's just when somebody has a need, you stop and you help. The scripture tells us in the New Testament that we weep with those who weep. We laugh with those who laugh. Those who are carrying a burden, we come alongside and we carry the burden with them. In other words, what it's telling us is this, be present, hang out, be part, be a friend. He cares. And the Samaritan doesn't just care a little bit. He, he cares extravagantly. And if you look at the passage of scripture, you realize this. When he pays for the guy's hurts, he pays two days wages worth. 
And the two days wages would have paid for three weeks to, to maybe a couple of months for that guy to stay there. It cost him a lot. Folks, there's always a cost when we care for our neighbors. The cost may be our time. It may be our energy. It may be our money. It may be some of your own selfishness that it cost you, but there will be a cost. But when we don't care for our neighbors, there's a greater cost, and that cost is to our souls. And when we miss the opportunity that Jesus presents to us, it takes part of our very soul. And our heart gets a little harder. Well, this guy stopped. What Jesus is saying to the expert in the law is this. Look, if you say you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, the evidence is how you show love to those in need. Because he ends up by saying this, go and do the same. Be a neighbor to anyone who needs help. Friends, Jesus is saying the same thing to us this morning. The evidence of my love for God is his extravagant love flowing out of me onto others. If we're sitting here this morning and we claim to be Christ followers, we're followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come into our lives and we love him with our heart, our soul, and our mind. And every aspect of our life is his. If that's true, it will be evident in how we love others. Not those who are closest to us, not those who are like us, not those who we like and get along with all people. What if that's what the people of Mossbrook Church were known for? What if we weren't just a group of folks who called themselves Christ followers, who worshiped together on a Sunday morning, but we were a group of people who loved our neighbors as ourselves? And I know There's a pile of folks here, and we do it all the time. Keep it up. Keep it up. The evidence of our love for God is shown in how we love others. There are thousands of different ways that we, as individuals who make up Mossbrook Church, can show that we're Christ followers by loving our neighbors. Go and do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture that you've given us. Thank you for the challenge that it is. Often it's easy for us to say that we love God, to say that We love Jesus with all of our heart and our soul because of what you've done for us. But sometimes it's hard to walk that out. And just like the expert in the law, often we want to divert our attention to something else instead of just doing the very thing that you asked. It's really kind of simple. If we love God, We're to love others. 
God, would you help us with that today? Help us to be Jesus to the folks that we're with this week. In your name we pray, amen. Have a great week. Stoplight, he can't be bothered by the hard cry written on the car.